Welcome to the Highland Southern Baptist Podcast. Each week, Keith Perrin will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message. If you have a Bible, you can read along with us. Our mission is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ from Hillsboro, Missouri to the rest of the world. Now, here's Pastor Keith. If you would, get your Bibles open up to the book of Philippians. Philippians. We're going to start with the latter part of chapter 1 and get into chapter 2. We'll start here in a second in verse 21 in chapter 1. Letter to the church in Philippi, and I've given history on this quite a bit before. I'm going to give you a little bit more history on it, and then some. I'll probably repeat some of the history that I've given you before. But um, <clears throat> The church in Philippi was actually the first church that moved the farthest west. Um, when the Apostle Paul was sent on a second missionary journey to Macedonia, which at the time was not uh, a part of Rome, um, <clears throat> it was the first church that was established on what we would call today the European continent. Um, it was actually um, named after Alexander the Great's dad. And uh, and he was uh, Philip of Macedon, so they named Macedonia after him. Now later, it did become uh, a part of Rome when Rome had continued to kind of expand their provinces. Uh, Rome did consume it, <clears throat> but it was the furthest the furthest church west that had ever been established. Uh, some people actually go so far as to say that. Uh, the church that reached the United States would have actually come through that particular church because it would have, that one which was technically started outside of Rome, would have continued to grow west from that point, uh, which is kind of a, a neat thought. <clears throat> but it was also people of a different culture. Um, they weren't people who were necessarily Greeks, people who were Romans. Um, they were Thracians before um, Alexander the Great's dad had taken it over. So they had a, a different culture. Um, they were a different kind of people. Um, but Paul had actually spent a, quite a bit of time with them uh, when he had went on a second missionary journey. <clears throat> and he had gotten to know them pretty well and had built a relationship with the people uh, in Philippi. And uh, when the individuals in Philippi, them, them going through a lot of the things they were going through, of course, they were already kind of feeling the pressure because Rome had already kind of started to consume them. Um, so they were um, transforming, uh, transforming under a new rule that they knew was going to bring a new, very aggressive culture uh, to them. Um, they knew that the Apostle Paul, who they had come to know personally and love, that uh, the Apostle Paul had now been imprisoned by them. Um, the imprisonment, created some chaos likely in the individuals by them you know who have you ever met somebody that was really nice and then somebody come along and say terrible things about them and i mean do you just right off the bat believe the terrible things that somebody says that somebody is or the terrible type of person that, i mean if you've known somebody if you know somebody for very long and somebody comes along and talks about how terrible they are in my own mind, my mind goes to, well, why are you so terrible? Because I know them, <laughs> and it doesn't sound like the same person. Um, 
But these people were dealing with some conflict that was going on in them because the Apostle Paul, who they knew had no intention of harm whatsoever, had every intention that was good towards them, was good with them, um, Rome had now thrown in prison. And it created some chaos. And you've heard me talk before about um, likely what the emotional state was, individuals who uh, probably were angry because Rome had imprisoned him, individuals who were probably frightened because they had trusted in this Jesus that now um, that Paul's being thrown in prison over, couple that along with the fact that Rome is so close and that Rome is consuming you, um, knowing that those pressures are coming into play, um, it, it can cause people to become distracted very quickly. And that's the point we got to get to. The point is it causes people to become distracted very quickly. We live in a world today that has a lot of distractions in it. Amen. And it seems like every year, more and more distractions pop up. Amen? So I believe that Paul knew that these individuals, because we have, um, we have uh, one person from Philippi who had actually gone to, made the trip to Rome to take a gift from the church in Philippi. The guy's name is Epaphroditus. Bible records for us in this book a little bit later on that on the journey he became deathly ill, but he did recover. Uh, we also know that uh, if you look on a map, roughly 600 miles. How many of you have driven 600 miles? I don't like driving 600 miles. How about walking 600 miles? Um, how about walking 600 miles and somewhere along the way you come down with an illness that, it, that makes you deathly ill? How many of you, like me, would want to turn around and go home? The Epaphroditus, he continued the journey, and he completed the journey to deliver the gift that the, that the church in Philippi um, had for the Apostle Paul. Um, that's when Paul gave this letter to Epaphroditus. When, when Epaphroditus returned to Philippi, he took this letter with him. So I'm not assuming that Epaphroditus and Paul had a conversation. And when you heard me say likely, um, I'm talking about the conversation that likely occurred between Epaphroditus and Paul and all of the things that they would have felt emotionally, uh, the distractions that were happening um, inside uh, in, in individuals' lives. And distractions, what happens when a church gets distracted, when its members get distracted? It loses purpose. Every time the church becomes distracted, it loses purpose. Um, we've seen it. Uh, we've seen it uh, across the entire United States. When they came out and announced coronavirus, what happened to the church? Pretty much stopped in its tracks. Now, I, I got to tell you, Highland, um, I, I, I get to stick my chest out and praise Jesus when I have all of the fellow pastors who talk to me about when they went into uh, coronavirus and, and were forced to not have church services and their giving dropped 40 and 50%. And then when I tell them we still came within $2,000 of our budget, uh, they're just amazed at that. Uh, but ministry stopped. And it didn't, I'm not talking about financially, and I'm not even talking about attendance. I'm talking about, I mean, we're still at the point where I can't visit people in hospitals. Still at the point where people aren't comfortable with me going door to door and introducing myself and, and inviting them to church. Um, there are still new ways that we've got to come up with to try to figure these things out because I don't think that's changing tomorrow. Um, but as real as it is, it, we still get to call it a distraction because it's exactly what it was. It was a distraction. 
Um, it turned our it turned our purpose to leading people to Christ and our purpose to raising people, continuing to disciple people in Christ. It it just turned the valve off. <clears throat> the ability to do it became extremely hindered, and we found some new ways to do it to to continue to get sermons in the hands of people to continue to encourage Bible studies online, and we figured out some ways to do it, but we're not nearly as free to do ministries we were before. I mean, I can tell you, first time in the 20 years I've been here, first time last year, we didn't have a vacation Bible school. Um, th- those are those are startling things. I'm not saying that that the virus isn't dangerous, and I'm not saying that we didn't make the right choices, but I am saying that it had the effect that there were many ways of ministry um, that we carried out as the church that just were not available anymore. Well, these people went through the emotional stresses of the Apostle Paul being imprisoned in Rome, and of course, there would have been that attention of self-preservation. Uh, well, I trusted in this Jesus that Paul came and told us about. Is that going to happen to me? Um. And then you know there were people inside the church. One of them would be like, oh, that'll never happen to you. And somebody else is like, oh, yes, it will. It happened to Paul. And these little squabbles that happen within the church because everybody's emotionally distraught. The church stops being the church. First thing the Apostle Paul was concerned about in this letter was he didn't want the church to stop being the church. He wanted the church to have the ability to look at something from look at something like this from a different perspective. Of course, the one thing he used, which was, um, just up from where we're going to start, um, was that he was given the ability to share the gospel with people that he would not have had the opportunity to if he wasn't arrested. That he had made it to people, and by him being imprisoned, he had made it closer to people being in prison than he would have ever gotten if he wasn't in prison. So he he looked at he looked at. Um, he looked at the circum not only looked at the circumstance, but he also taught the other individuals to realize that regardless of what the circumstances were, the gospel was being preached. In other words, Paul was saying, I had plenty of chaotic stuff going on in my life too. Just been imprisoned for the gospel. But his point was, even though I was being persecuted, even though they were doing everything they could to try to stop me from talking about Jesus. Even though, and if you want to look through the list of perils, um, you can look them up. The Apostle Paul faced a lot of perils when it came to Rome and it, and it came to the Jews. He was in danger from the natures of, of uh, from nature, the dangers of nature, and he was in danger from people who hunted him all the time. Did he have the opportunity for distractions? Absolutely, he had the opportunity for distractions. And I want you to know that you know Paul is in in many ways he's the exception to the rule. Most people are typically the rule. The first and second Timothy was written to Timothy because Timothy was actually being affected by the distractions. The persecutions and things were getting to him. And you can tell by the letters that Paul wrote Timothy that he was encouraging Timothy to not hide, to not be afraid, to not, um, to not react wrongly to his age, to, to be someone who was continuing to hold that purpose. So Paul was saying in the first part of this letter, even though I'm persecuted, even though I'm in danger, even though I'm imprisoned, the gospel is being preached. Paul's saying, I've got all this stuff going on in my life too, and they're all the potential for distractions, but I'm not losing my purpose. The main point of the beginning of this. There's a lot going on in my life, 
but I'm not losing my purpose. In this particular, um, I believe wholeheartedly that many of the people in the church in Philippi didn't think Paul was going to come out of this alive, which is why we're going to start where we're going to start. Um, so they questioned, or I should say feared for his life. They feared for his health and his well-being. And uh, that's where we're going to start at in uh, the book of Philippians chapter 1, starting with verse 21. He said, For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. How many of you guys genuinely can say you have that conflict? If you're given the choice today, die or live, which is it? Well, I mean, there's no hard-pressed part about that usually, is there? I mean, for most human beings, it's like, I want to live, right? Paul's point of view in this particular in these particular verses is the point to what it is that he's saying. Our purpose before Christ was completely different than our purpose after Christ. We know that Christ, his desire is for all who are lost to be saved. He wants that to happen. It's not going to happen, but he wants it to happen. He wants it to happen because he wants the relationship to be restored with God. Even though we can say the relationship's restored, it's very much spiritual here. Why do you suppose he gave us eternal life? Why was life at its fullest not enough? Why was it so important that God actually say that when we go to heaven, that he will walk among us and he will be our God and we will be his people? It'll be just as much, even though I can tell you, probably more of a physical relationship than any of us can imagine. I mean, we're not going to be a bunch of spirits just floating around in heaven. That's not how this is going to work. Uh, but even the Bible gives us a hint. It says even though that we know, even though we know that we we do not know what it is that we will be, we know that that we will be like him. Well, what was he like? Could Thomas touch the hole in his hands? Could Thomas touch the hole in his side? Very much. Had a very physical body. Um, we're not going to get into discussing what those physical bodies may look like. Have some ideas according to what the scripture says, but um, the fact is it's a very physical relationship. And my point to saying that is this. As human beings... And I get it. I spent a lot of time there myself in the, in the earlier days of my relationship. I spent a lot of days there myself. We tend to think that things that we can touch and feel are more real than the things that we can't. This is why, in many cases, we will take the advice of a person over the advice of God. At least until we get to the point that we believe that God is as real as the person who's given us advice. Do you get that? If God is tangible, if he's touchable, he's more real to us. Now you say, um, well, let me say this. You ever seen God move in your own life? 
Did it make him more real to you? Did that affect your relationship with him? Absolutely. When God makes himself tangible to us, when he makes himself real, more real to us, it elevates the relationship to a completely different elevation. Paul is in this place where he says that his responsibility is to carry out the preaching of the gospel for the remainder of his days. He says, if they come to my room and they say, we just might have to kill you. Paul's response immediately would be to die as gain. Well, we just may have to let you live. To live as Christ. And I guarantee you, in his mind, he's sitting there going, you're going to let me live? You're going to get sick of hearing about Jesus by the time this day's over with. Because that was the purpose. The purpose was, as long as I have breath in my lungs, I will proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. The day that I no longer have breath in my lungs is the day that I stand in the presence of God and my my eternity sits before me and I have absolutely nothing else to worry about. Paul was focused on purpose. His purpose was on point. So he didn't even have to think about it at all. He even responded with, man, I'm really hard-pressed on which one. If I had the choice to make, it would be difficult to make that choice. Not because I just want to live, because I feel like somehow this life is going to offer me something more than that life will. He says, I'm hard-pressed because to die, that's the better choice, the better option. But then he says, but if I live, I get to continue my fruitful labor towards you and everybody else that I get to minister to. So his point was, if he dies, he dies to Christ. If he lives, he lives to Christ. His purpose doesn't change. It doesn't shift. And he wants the people in Philippi to know that as long as the purpose is being lived, it doesn't matter what the next step is. It doesn't matter what comes next. Because everyone's focused on the purpose. Verse 25 says, Convinced of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Before we before we go any further, I want you, if you've got a pen or a pencil, um, you can just circle that verse if you're worried about marking too much in your Bible. But if you uh, don't mind underlining something, I want you to underline um, where he actually says, uh, that I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, <clears throat> with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. In other words, he's saying the sign's not from me. 
The sign's not from any human source. The sign will be from God. God is the one who is the greatest giver of assurance. He's the giver of the promises that we know can't be broken. He's the giver of the gifts that will not be returned. He is the giver of all things good. He is the one who has the ability to take these mediocre lives that we live in mediocre faith and make them into exceptional faiths with lives that matter. That matter. You say, well, do all lives really matter? I mean, I'm not talking about the sanctity of human life. Of course, the sanctity of human life is important. But what's the gauge by which, at the end of your life, you get to say, did your life matter? Do you ever think about the legacy you leave behind when you die? What do you leave? There's nothing wrong with living comfortably, folks. Don't take me, don't don't take this wrong, okay? My dad used to tease and say that when he died, he was going to take all of his money out of the bank, put it in a suitcase in the attic so he could grab it on the way up. Can't do it, can you? Um... How many people come to know Jesus Christ through the life that you live? And when you think about your own personal life and the areas of our lives where we've become distracted by being afraid of things we can't help. How many opportunities have we passed up for the gospel to be proclaimed? How many lives could have been changed had we not gotten confused? You know, I said earlier that anytime somebody comes to me and says, I'd like a, a line item in the budget for such and such. I mean, it would just be awesome for us to have an endless stream of cash, right? And somebody come and say, I need an item, in the, I need a line item in the budget for such and such. We just go, yeah, throw money at it, right? But I even have to watch myself. I mean, I've got to write down the question. How does this money being spent fit with the purpose? How does it lead people to Christ? How does it assist in discipleship? How does it contribute to the things that won't be left behind? How does it contribute to the things that will lead to legacies that are Christ-like legacies? Things that will live on for an eternity. Things that leave little and sometimes hopefully big traces of the fact that your life and your choices had been there. Because when we show up in the name of Jesus, there is nowhere we go that we don't leave a mark. Do you hear me? This is why we always say it's not our responsibility to save people, it's just our responsibility to share the gospel. But if we're faithful in sharing the gospel, we've left a mark. Will God use that mark? Absolutely, he will use that mark. In 100% of the cases, he'll use it. We don't know what the outcome of that will be, but I know 
that God's word, when it's shared, will not return void. Because that's his own promise from his own words. When we leave a mark for Jesus, we walk away, that mark could be leading people to Christ. Sorry, Mark. I just dawned on me. You might be thinking I'm talking about you. That mark could be leading people to Christ for thousands of years of Jesus tarries. You think about our kids and you think about our grandkids and even in that type of a bubble instilling Christ in those individuals, they're going to grow up. If they grow up with a solid foundation in Christ, their kids and their kids and their kids and their kids are going to continue to hand the gospel down. There will always be a remnant of Jesus Christ as long as people have the ability in Christ to keep on purpose. We gotta stay on point. We can't be alarmed. The Bible mentions this in several places, not being easily shaken from our composure. I've been in Facebook jail twice. Well, I guess I guess I was on Facebook. What's it called when you don't really go to jail but you've been warned that you're about to? Probation, yeah, Facebook probation. And then there's this conflict inside of me when I get these messages because it's like, I don't want to shut up because what I'm saying is true and what I'm saying is actually gospelly true. I don't want to shut up about it. But if I get thrown in Facebook jail, guess what goes with me? The Highland Facebook page goes with me. They actually sent me a list of everything that goes down the tubes with me if I go down the tubes. I have a, I have a, another Facebook page that I didn't even put my name on. It's called Pastor's Rant. I didn't put my name on it because I didn't want people to know who I was. And when people joined it, I wanted them to join it with me being somebody who could just speak openly without, without any severe consequences for my church, any severe consequences. Um, that one was on the list. So they knew that it was still me that started Pastor's Rant, and it was on the list. I hadn't been a Christian, but maybe a few years. And my dad had been on visitation several times. The first time I had a snub nose 38 stuck through a door at me. The man literally said, don't come back here, I'll shoot you. Two years later, my dad said, come on, we're going back to that house. <laughs> <laughs> Went back to that house, walked into the house. The guy invited us in. He said, we must be crazy enough to listen to you. He remembered us. Talked to the guy for about an hour and a half. He ended up giving his life to Jesus. What if we'd been afraid? People say, oh, well, somebody else would have come along and told, shared the gospel. Do you think they would have had the same impact as the people that he stuck a snub-nosed 38 at, out the door at? They probably would have got the snub-nosed 38 too. And we don't share the gospel because we're afraid to be rejected. Because we're afraid somebody may say something mean to us or they may slam the door in our face. Purpose, folks. This is the same thing that Paul was telling Timothy when he talked about a good soldier never gets entangled in everyday affairs. 
He was talking about a good soldier is never distracted. If a soldier is given a mission, then the mission is supposed to be what they're focused on. Amen? And it doesn't matter what hardship that they hit unless unless the superior officer turns them around. What's the responsibility? Carry out the mission. Carry out the mission. Why in the world? When it's so dangerous. Would a commander give somebody the command to carry out the mission? Because apparently it's pretty important. I'm here to tell you, folks, there is no more important mission than the mission of the lost being found in Christ. There is no important mission than the mission that Jesus Christ called every one of us into when we trusted in him as our personal Lord and Savior. I'm only going to get through a little bit more. Look at chapter 2, starting with verse 1. If therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, of any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Remember what I asked you to mark up in chapter 1? Sounds an awful lot like the same thing that you just said in the last chapter, doesn't it? Why does God repeat himself? It's important. He wants to make sure we hear it. <clears throat> make my joy complete by being of the same mind. There's quite a few people in here today. How many different minds are there? a lot of different minds individually right but if I was to ask you the question what's the main purpose this church is here for I believe that every one of us even though we may phrase it a little bit differently we would all give the same answer am I right that unity being united in spirit That means that not only our budget, but our ministries had better follow the exact same guidelines. How does this ministry affect the kingdom? Will this ministry provide the opportunity to lead people to Christ? Will this ministry provide the opportunity for people to be discipled in Christ? And if the answer to that question is yes, then I don't believe there's one person who's a part of this church who would be opposed to it. My entire life, previous to coming to Highland, and even at the beginning of the time I came to Highland, I grew up in a church that had a lot of conflict in it. Seems like every time you turned around, there was conflict. In many cases, it was conflict that caused splits. I first came to Highland, it seemed like that curse followed me conflict for about two years nothing but conflict and it was because there was no purpose there was no united in spirit when it came to the same mind it just didn't exist 
there was this little pocket of people that <clears throat> had the same mind. And then there was this little pocket of people that had the same mind. And this little pocket of people had the same. This little pocket of people had the same. And all of these four different groups of people, if there was four families besides the two Hackfield and McCoys, that's what we could have called ourselves. <clears throat> Whoever had the presidency ruled the roost. In every election, it was a fight for the title. To see where Highland's at now, where it really began to go after the first two years, we're closer to where we should be than we've ever been since I've been here. Because I believe wholeheartedly that as long as our goal is to reach the lost, to provide the opportunities for those who already know him to know him more, in every ministry, in every dollar spent, that it's driven for that purpose. Though we may still have disagreements, but did you know that disagreements on the same purpose, on how we accomplish the same purpose, never really lead to fights? If I have an idea of how to reach people for Jesus, and somebody comes up with me, comes up and talks to me, and they can improve on that, do you think I'm honestly going to say, no, I want it my way? I don't believe anybody in this church would do that. If we ever argue, may it always be over the same purpose. Because I'll tell you something, folks, and this is a fact. The biggest thing that the church in this country is losing is its purpose. They're finding a whole lot of different purposes. And there's a whole bunch of them out there that their purpose is not the gospel. Their purpose is not the truth. Their purpose is not discipleship. There are still a lot out there that are. Highland's not the only church that exists that still believes that God gave us the truth and the truth is good the way it stands. But just look around. Personalize this. In the context of Christianity, you be your own judge. Do you have a purpose? A kingdom purpose? A purpose that's pointing people towards Jesus? If you don't, then it's time to lose the distraction. It's time to stop being afraid. It's time to step into the gift that God gave you. It's time to step out of the safe little bubble that you may have created for yourself in your life. It's time, way past time, for your life to have purpose. Thank you for joining us today. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, prayer requests, or just want to say hello, you can reach us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. 
We hope that this message was encouraging to all of our listeners. Have a blessed week.